welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Just sipping on ginger limeade. Okay. Oh. Somebody, somebody brought it to staff meeting, and it's fine now. Oh, fair enough. Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. I celebrate your beverage. Thank you. You know, I don't think there's enough beverage celebration uh, that happens. That's what I do, bro. Yeah. We also had a little discussion about the importance of validation in the ministry environment during yeah. staff meetings. So maybe we're in for a more positive experience on the podcast than normal. Yeah, just get on with it. Probably not. Also joining us all the way from Rock Church, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Media Church, Lee Younger. I have beverage envy. Glenn's beverage sounds fancy. It is super fancy. And uh, it's all mine. Nice. Well, we uh, we are not only envying, not only uh, validating, we're also celebrating here on the Say That Podcast today because if you listen here in the first month of August of 2019, we just put out seven full years worth wow. of Bridgebox. What? Some people go to school for that long and become a medical doctor. <laughs> Some of us went to school that long to get a Bachelor of Arts. <laughs> the key thing is, it's a long amount of time. So you're saying that Bridgebox is medicinal and can cure diseases Wow! like a That's doctor. Cool. That's exactly what Matt is saying. No, nope. Wow. No, I'm implying it heavily, but I'm not saying it in any legally actionable way. Don't okay. take so, your meds, just listen to Bridgebox. Yeah. The statement's not evaluated by the FDA. Subscribing to Bridgebox is the exact same thing as what I'm hearing. You don't even have to go to a doctor. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's no point in that. Well, considering that there are a number of uh, internet publications, let's call them, whose uh, main <laughs> source of monetization seems to be selling brain pills, maybe mm. we could get in on that. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, on the one hand, you know, it's, a, it's a big deal. And, and really, the, the heroes here are the folks who've signed up for Bridgebox. No doubt. been generous donors to the work that sure. we do up here and that Lee does in Tennessee. And we're mm. super grateful. It's, it's just an amazing thing. You guys have empowered so much cool stuff and so much ministry over these past seven years. You've, you've just transformed things. It's, it's amazing. But also, oh, no. there are things they don't want you to know. Bible numerology Jed. He's made an appearance. Bible numerology Jed, in his velvet jacket for some reason, gets involved here. (laughs) We do want to point out, because we're not ending Bridgebox. I realize so far this has sounded like a wake. Seven good years. We're not shoving off. We're going to keep putting it out. But that being said, Jed, you had an unhinged rant you were beginning on. It's time for a numerology emergency oh, aren't wow. they all that was a that was a graceful glissando into bible numerology jed right now, there. it does sound dire are you saying someone must die every seven years no glenn That's connected with a seven no. is the biblical number of completion <laughs> oh. what does that mean having completed seven years of bridge box there are certain implications. You didn't oh. answer my question about what that means. That's what they don't want you to know. <laughs> isn't, wait, isn't they you in this situation? Fact! Mary Maryville of Maryville, Indiana, refused to sign up for Bridgebox. That sounds fake. Last year, uh, she was attacked by her own lawnmower. 
<laughs> Are you claiming wow. the lawnmower gained some level of sentience? Louis Lewiston of okay. Louisville, Kentucky, chose to sign up for Bridgebox. Three days later, he won the billion-dollar lotto that actually exists. This sounds... That's a bad name for a lottery. It, it, well, Louis Lewiston sounds like a Marvel character. <laughs> I mean, what do we even... Yeah, like one of the, one of the kids who goes to high school with Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. But he's only ever going to be in the one issue, so they don't really bother him to give a plausible name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the he, Hobgoblin has attacked Louis Lewinston. Well, he's uh, he's also one of the ensigns on the original Star Trek that gets beamed down to the yeah, planet. Yeah, red shirt. We, exactly right. Yeah. We all know it's going to happen. Yeah, the landing party will be Captain Kirk, Dr. McCoy, Dr. Spock, and Louis Lewiston. Oh, crap. Oh, man. I thought I was going to really make it on this show. Is signing up for Bridgebox the gateway to opening blessings of manifold proportions in your life? That's what they don't want you to know. Well, uh, as much as I don't want to get on board with the truly unhinged insanity we're perpetuating here, uh, we have had people since they signed up for Bridgebox uh, graduate college. Yes. Go on to own their own homes. Yep. Uh, become first-time parents. Uh, Fertility. Not not a word we should use ever. <laughs> uh, become engaged and married. So I, I think we there's a bit of evidence here. Every month, Bridgebox is released, meaning that seven years equates to 84 issues of Bridgebox. 84 is close, somewhat approximately, to the age that Abraham was when God first called him and promised him a child. Don't you have a degree in math? They're both large numbers. That's the key thing. I don't know that they are. (laughs) 84 is a very significant number. The biblical number of fundraising. That doesn't sound like a thing. Well, the thing about Bible numerology, Jed, is if you've been around the Bible numerology, it's just too close to reality to be funny. Yeah, oh, dude, I've got funny. it. I've got it. Check oh. this out. Okay, get ready. Oh, he, broke, he got so excited he broke character. Bring it back in. We've released 84 issues over <laughs> seven years. Combining those, we find the number 847, no, which is one of the key Chicago area codes. Bridgebox is made in the city of Chicago. Whoa. Coincidence? Yes. We think not. Whoa. Is there something more that they don't want you to know? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on this conspiracy with my own conspiracy. Hit me. Lay it on me. We have released 84 editions of Bridgebox, correct? Yes. So the listener will be hearing this on August the 7th. <gasps> we are recording oh. it on Sunday, August the 4th. Oh my gosh! Oh my god, it's all happening! Four. That is true. I just blew my own mind. <laughs> it's all happening. Bible numerology Jed was right. He was right all along. <laughs> Even he seems disturbed by that. <laughs> Seriously, guys, even though I talk like this, I have no idea what I'm saying. This is all a load of hocus pocus. Now I want to do, I want to write and produce the movie where it's one of these uh, end time numerology hucksters and all his stuff starts coming true. Right. And it really freaks him out. That's pretty funny. Yeah. 
Seriously, this is a true thing that happened, but I think it relates to this. I fear Jed can't stop doing the voice now. I think he's stuck in it. One of the phenomenon that we've observed at the bridge is that when we prepare for a problem properly, that problem refuses to happen. That's true. It's very true. We, uh, we, oh, this person gave us trouble last week and we don't know what to do. We... We'll sit down, we'll, we'll hammer out a strategy, we'll never see them again. That's right. Guaranteed, it's happened many times exactly like that. So, our strategy moving forward is to plan for what we'll do if no one gives us a million dollars and a Ferrari. <laughs> Right. We want to be very prepared for that eventuality. <laughs> a plan Listen, for not a million dollars. You, if you're going to do Bible numerology, you have to work in something with Satan, right? Israel, yes, and Megiddo. Wow. Yes, yes, I do. That is for the original, the true heads right there. Know what that is. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's good. G- give me a second. I, I, think, I think I can do this. I think okay. I can do this. Also, let's take out the Israel part because, you know. Yeah, yeah. G- give me a second. I, think, I, feel like, I feel like I've got something. Oh, I've got it. I've got okay. it. We all know that six is the number of destruction and evil, the number of the devil. Six is half of one year which is exactly the amount of Bridgebox you shouldn't subscribe for. You should subscribe for the entire year, the complete year. The number of completion is seven. So seven months? No, seven seven years. Oh. It, the, the beautiful thing about this, it doesn't have to make sense. To yeah, you. I see. That's, yeah. it's... It's look, like look. sales. You just have to sound confident. Exactly right. Let's get let's get back to this. If you're signing up for Bridgebox, what sort of impact can you expect to have in your life beyond no need for medicine and um, uh, you know having children? Well, getting married definitely for sure. Yeah, preferably in the right order. Right, right. I'm just saying. My fiance signed up for Bridge Rock before we started dating. Coincidence? I think. Oh, whoa! Yeah. yeah, there it is. Wow, there's the romance. Like yeah. Uh, also, we've had a request that pertains uh, to Lee Younger. Uh, uh, one of our super fans had mentioned that you uh, didn't know about the uh, dating of the uh, the Matt and Jenna that you found out on yeah. the air. And yeah. there was the, the way it was expressed to me was there was so much enjoyment off of you wow. finding that out in real time and, and hearing the the excitement of that yeah. that we should just not tell you things in life and then say it over the air to record your live reaction to things. Somehow that would be different from the current situation in what way? Well, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Glenn, what I hear you saying is there are things that we don't want Lee to know. <laughs> you really are stuck, aren't you? you just can't... I think that's the next level of this is conspiracy theories about conspiracies we are perpetrating. Right. Here's what we don't want you to know. <laughs> that's just the secret. It's that's a real the... one-stop shop situation. Uh, so I and I don't want to derail an important conversation about how that's just not true. Y- if you sign up for Bridgebox, <laughs> your lawnmower will not come to life and attack you. Absolutely, I feel comfortable promising that. Well, there you go. There's there's yeah. your Bridgebox guarantee. Absolutely. Uh, but ha- you know, having said that, I think we should make up a series of things that might be true, might not be true, and then just say them 
just to get Lee's reaction. Okay. Wow. You know, and just not in this episode, but just in future episodes. Just kind of sprinkle them in. Yeah. yeah. Kind of an just, Easter egg. Just every now and there's kind of a running gag. See yeah. if, see how far Lee is taken in by yeah. just crap you guys are just springing on me in the moment. That's right. Well, I think that's what we got. It's the emergency next week. That's yeah. what people yeah. got to tune in. You got to, you know, it's the cliffhanger. Right. They tune in and find out what happens. There you go. What I enjoy is on this show, uh, and uh, Ridgebox is an extension of our uh, the stuff we do with our friends online here. Um, that's built on uh, trust, that's built on uh, reputation, <laughs> where we're just going to start. What if we just said a bunch of lies now for the entertainment? <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah. Now, here's just intentionally deceiving each other, but hoping that the listener never feels we try to do that to them. Well, I one last thing before we wrap this up. I know Again, I doubt the veracity of that. Imp- important uh, wisdom yeah. that we got to get to. Uh, there was a, uh, a, a a televangelist in the past. And he came up with this brilliant idea for fundraising. He said, if you don't give me X number of million dollars, the God's Lord's gonna, gonna call me home. God's gonna call me, God's gonna kill me. Yes. If you don't give me and you say, Well, that's bonkers. Did didn't all Christians rise up as Also, one? if you're saved, why is that bad? Right. Didn't all Christians rise up at once and say, Oh no, honey, that's not it. Well, no, they did not. Well, yeah. of them just gave him money. Right. So here's here's the thing. Um, I think we ought to run a similar thing. Okay. But there's a there's so like if we said you know you personally the person who's hearing this podcast you must sign up for Bridgebox yeah or Jed will die sure absolutely that if people like Jed eh, sure Jed, I don't know yeah, but yeah. if they like Jed yeah they'd be like, whoa, I got to sign up. I don't want Jed to die. Sure, absolutely. That's a good point. But then here's the problem with this is they think, well, is God really going to kill Jed? Right. You know. To, right. So uh, what if I promise I would kill him? Oh, I think there's all <laughs> kinds of potential there. Absolutely. That seems more plausible. Sign up for Bridgebox and save my life. There it is. And with that, I think we'll declare a Bible numerology emergency off. Maybe we don't want to have to. Or will we? Yes. Oh, okay. So if you uh, don't want Glenn (laughs) to kill Jed, uh, you can go to missionusa.com slash bridgebox. That's right. I think we should set up an alternate, like, you know, uh, many, many years ago, uh, DC Comics, there was a thing where uh, they voted, they let their readers vote on whether or not to kill Robin. Sure, yeah. Mm. So we we could also set up the competing missionusa.com slash just do it. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know. Matt, can we have a, like a, a, an old school style telethon where Jed Ooh. does different exposes different talents and stuff like that while people go in and pledge to Bridgebox. Yeah, I think Jed holding a sparkler in each hand while tap dancing. Yeah, sure. That's you got to give money to that. Yeah, oh, you know absolutely, absolutely. And maybe we'll maybe that will be a bonus video on a an upcoming edition of Bridgebox. Jed celebrating his continued livelihood by tap dancing <laughs> with the sparkler. Uh, but for now, we're they're more based around answering questions that you, the reader, may have this week, this month. We're looking at how do I let go of the past to get sermons? Let and I preach the bridge, get songs from from Lee, from the Full House Guru, from a whole lot of friends. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. All right. Move on to our first question here. If you have a question for us, handle this all the way to the end. I'll get some ways to get in touch with this. Or you can scroll down into your episode description and find the links there. Our first question comes in anonymously, and it says... I listen to people debate things in church, and I'm wondering what's the right way to look at things. I know it's all in the Bible, but people on both sides claim they use the Bible. 
So how do I know which side to take? How can I figure out what God thinks? And uh, it's a great question. It's actually one we looked at something very similar uh, at the bridge last week. So if you check out uh, the bridge podcast that comes out in the same week, you'll find my thoughts on that. But uh, Glenn, where would we start this idea off? Well, I think the first question I want you to ask yourself, if you're having a struggle, you don't know, you know, I'm, I'm hearing two different uh versions of the same Bible verse being interpreted two different ways. I think the first question you want to ask yourself is, is one side of this uh, debate, so to speak, is one side trying to exploit or manipulate you? Mm. So what, by exploit, I mean trying to get your money uh, in an exploitive way, where they're just interested in your money, not necessarily ministering to you personally. Uh, or are they trying to manipulate you? When I say manipulate, I mean fear, shame, and guilt, any of those things. If one of these two sides of this debate are focused on that, of, of manipulation or exploitation, then they should be out of the running of this debate. They should not right. have a voice in it. But what's funny is I think a lot of the people that come to me with these kinds of questions they know one of these two people is shady and is is saying something for personal gain or whatever else, or likely saying it for that, but they kind of can't let go. There's still sort of a lingering worry. Is is there a chance that that's right, and I don't want to reject it out of hand? Uh, you can reject it out of hand. If if someone's saying it that way, let's, let, you know, I, I don't like this phrase, eat the meat, spit out the bones kind of thing, mm-hmm. the idea you... You sift what people are saying for something that that's might be useful, but then you're going to reject stuff that isn't useful. Uh, let's find someone with integrity to line us out and then listen to them. Let's not try to have a mentality of, uh, you know, see what small bits of good stuff might come from this totally exploitive person. Uh, that's that's not that's not going to be good. Um, Second thing that we want to focus on is any interpretation of one verse of the Bible needs to agree with the whole Bible, mm-hmm. with all the other verses mm-hmm. in the Bible. Uh, we, we're going to find some bad theology. We're going to find some bad uh, interpretations of Scripture when we're taking one thing and we're isolating it from everything else, and we're developing an interpretation that doesn't click and doesn't resonate with all the rest of Scripture, and I mean all the rest of it. Uh, Jesus dealt with this same sort of thing. He had people coming up to him and saying, this is a woman who's been caught in adultery, and doesn't the Bible say that we should do this to adulterers and, and, and throw rocks at them and all of this? And Jesus is trying to explain, the Bible is saying that adultery is a sin, the Bible's also saying this level of hatred and mistreatment, this level of of uh, looking for someone you can put down because of their sexual lifestyle and whatever else, that is also a sin, it, which is also listed out in this book. But you are ignoring that because you've taken a Bible verse that you're yeah. you're you're amping up and saying, "Hey, we can't look the other way on this." But what we're not we're not asking you to look the other way. We're, Jesus didn't say look the other way on this sin. He's saying look at all of what Scripture is telling you to do in that in this situation. So that's that's how we want to urge you. Final point on this, and I think it's it's really essential for you. 
listening to the Lord in prayer needs to be a major part of your walk moving forward. If you're listening to this podcast and you're you're a brand new Christian and you're just starting to get into prayer, you you may not be getting a lot from the Lord in prayer because you're just kind of starting down that road and getting used to the conversation and getting yourself open, getting yourself grounded in the Word so you know how to recognize God's voice. But if you're listening to this podcast and you've been uh, growing in the Lord for some length of time, there ought to be a prayer time that you're having every day, hopefully, where you're listening to the Lord, what he's saying to you. And it's still small voice in, in that prayer time. This is the kind of thing you want to get from God. Uh, we're giving you some guidelines here, and Scripture should give you even more of those. So that's that's two ways we know God's will, through Scripture, through wise counsel. And then the third thing is through prayer, where you go to God individually and you ask him personally, this person's saying something and it just doesn't sound right to me. It, and, and letting the Lord show you, maybe part of it's right, part, maybe part of it's wrong, maybe it's all the way wrong. But go to the Lord with that openness and let him show you and guide you. That is absolutely the perfect place to start, I think. And Jed, let me get you to pick us up there. I think Glenn said a couple of things that put me thinking on the same track, which is um, the the idea, which I love, that any part of the Bible needs to agree with all the other parts of the Bible. And this is also a key thing about listening to the Lord is we need to have some level of baseline mm-hmm. on these things. Um, nobody uh, properly understands the, every verse in the Bible. Now, as we grow, as we read more, as we you know get good commentaries and good teaching, we can look at what that arc is for ourselves. But do we have some kind of footholds, some things we can know? I may not know everything, but this distills it down pretty good that if something violates that, I know it's a little off. Well, I think a great place to start is that someone once asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? You know, in the whole book, what's the thing that matters the most? And it's kind of funny to think that that would even be possible. Um, but someone directly asked Jesus that question. And he, uh, with no hesitation, he replies immediately, so the greatest commandment is to love God with everything you've got, with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength, with absolutely everything that you've got. And then, but he went further. He didn't just stop there. He said, the second commandment is very much like it. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said something very, very interesting. He said, on these commandments rest the whole of the law and the prophets. In other words, he said, pretty much everything in that book kind of comes back to these two things. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. So. With Jesus telling us that, that that suggests a few things. The first thing it suggests is whenever we get to a point where we have an issue, we have a situation, whatever it is, and we're not sure where do we go with that, we always want to err on the side of love. We want to err on the side of loving God and loving our neighbor the way that we would want to be loved. We we always want to do that uh, because that's, um, in in a true scriptural sense, that's the safe place to land. That's that's the thing that's going to be closest to the heart of God. But it's also true that it is so easy to lose the love. It's it's so easy to get into a place where there's a lot of minutiae and a lot of what have yous and a lot of concerns and whatnot, and we turn around and there's not a lot of love in this equation. And whenever that happens, we can be certain we've taken um, a wrong turn. 
Mm. We we may not be sure exactly which wrong turn we took. We, 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 we may not be sure which step in this process was the wrong turn. But if we get to a situation where love has left the room, we can be confident, okay, something's definitely, definitely gone wrong here. Mm. That's a very, very good baseline to have. But there's another baseline that I would add that the Bible speaks to repeatedly, that Jesus spoke to, uh, elsewhere in the New Testament it talks about be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving mm. your own selves. I apologize yeah. for the King James, I grew up Southern Baptist. Um, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. And that is the people who are going to teach you and instruct you, sure, they know this book, but are they living it? When it says... The two greatest commandments are to love God and to love other people. Are they actually living that stuff out in their lives? Because I think you should be greedy for a pastor that deserves to be followed by you. Amen. And a pastor that deserves to be followed by you should be living this stuff out. If we look at a different arena of life for a second, could you be someone who knows a ton about food and cooking even though you can't cook? Yeah, I guess you you could, but I'd rather learn to cook from someone who knows how to cook, not just from someone who's memorized a cookbook. I mean, I I, I guess it's possible, but that would be weird. And why why would I want that? In the same way, in in the in the life of faith, yeah, you could kind of like Len is saying with the eat the meat and spit out the bones. You could get a good word from someone who's in no way living this. That that's technically possible. That could happen, I guess. But why would you do that? Um, If you can find someone who, I'm living this out, I'm living out loving God, I'm living out loving other people, and on that basis, I'd like to encourage you on how to do that in your own life. That's the good stuff. That's that's what you want. So it all comes back to love. Love is what undergirds this whole thing. Love is what informs this whole thing. And love's what we want to come back to when we're not sure where else to land. Absolutely right. I think that's a really great extension. And Lee, I think these guys have given us a great framework for what we need to, to do when someone's telling us something to check that. But I think the, the part of this we haven't looked at quite yet is the idea that there should and always are going to be just debates flying around, that that's what kind of like, that's what yeah. good thought, good Christianity is, is, you know, getting into it all the time. I'm not sure that's exactly a mark of a healthy community in and of itself, is it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's funny because for some reason, there's a temptation for people who um for for christians to 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 look at debating and people that can debate well as like these are our really good christians these are the guys that are awesome because they're so good at debating things in this book and winning debates um that's a tough part of being a a, a group of people who have uh you know a, a canon of scripture we have a book that we are submitting to and following the authority of that's a tough thing because you're going to it's going to give rise to these people of like who understands it the best, who explains it the best and all that kind of stuff. But the thing is is that that very book that people like to debate, it actually says have nothing to do with quarrels over words. Uh, the apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament says that several times. One time in the book of 2 Timothy he says have nothing to do with those who quarrel about words and then he says this. It is of no value and it ruins those who listen. And that's two big reasons not to, to quarrel. One, it doesn't mean anything. Um, and two, if you listen to it, it will actually mess you up. 
So even if I'm a spectator in somebody else's quarrel, that's going to have a negative impact on me. In other words, there's nothing positive about debates over Scripture. The really cool thing about verses like that is that it points us exactly back to what Jed was saying a second ago. And that is that, you know, what Jesus was always saying is, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who serves, the servant of all the one who's doing things. Um, typically in debates, what happens is, is you have somebody rising to the top as the prominent person, the person who sounds like they've got it all together, the person who's got it figured out, who knows how to explain it the best or whatever. You, you have everybody looking to this person because they say words well or something. But Jesus always said, it's the person whose hands are dirty. That's the greatest in the kingdom. Um, there's a uh, there's a thing that's this is not a this is not a biblical thing, but um, you know just kind of a classic thing that that uh, the that Fred Rogers used to say, which was whenever something really horrible is happening, he said his mother used to tell him, "Look for the helpers, whoever is actually helping somebody. That's who you want to align yourself with." If people in your church are having debates over scriptures, if there's this person says this, that person says that, look around the room and see who's, uh, who's collecting the trash and who's setting up food and who's setting up tables and chairs and stuff like that and go help that person. If we would focus on just this, just meeting physical needs of people in our church community or in our neighborhood or in our community that, that the Lord's giving us a burden for, we will not run out of stuff to do all the way up until Jesus comes back. And I think this is kind of pointing to the same thing that Jed's talking about, same thing that Glenn, talk, that Glenn is talking about as well, which is all these debates, they don't actually show us what's important. And the Bible actually says they ruin everybody that listens. But if we'll just help people, who's the helper? Who is the servant? Jesus said that is the person who's the most important in the kingdom of God. Absolutely right. I think that's all really fantastic stuff. I think along what Lee is saying there, we have a, if we want to look to the example on Jesus, of Jesus on this, it's a lot of times about the Sabbath, about people, about the forgiveness of sin, about all sorts of these core things where both the, the Satan, literal, the literal Satan himself and religious leaders, funny that they ended up on the same side of things a lot <laughs> in the New Testament, um, tried to counter Jesus by getting him on the details and the minutia and boiling it down. And I can't think of a time, I may be missing one, but I can't think of a time in the New Testament where his response wasn't dismissing that totally and not saying, well, actually I minutia, you're minutia, or you had that wrong. It is saying, I don't care about that and appealing to the whole arc of what God is doing. You know, the, does, you know this, the woman comes in adultery, as Glenn's pointing out, well, this is here's chapter and verse about what we should do. Well, if it, if any of you are without sin, let you cast the first stone. That's that's not catching them in a technicality. That's appealing to the whole grand plan of salvation that no sin is worse than any other one. And what right do you have to judge someone when you do when we all do wrong ourselves? So this idea that I, I build a good Christianity and a good life and a good faith by knowing the right side of all these little points and that builds up to the right big thing is really the opposite of the way it happens. When we start with the things these guys have been talking about with, uh, you know, the two greatest commandments and things like, you know, love justice and walk humbly and those big things, that's going to filter down is actually the way that's 
supposed to work. All right, we're going to jump to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, it's so hard to make the big decisions I need to make for my future. How can I know if I'm on the right path? How can I listen to the Lord when my emotions are all over the place? I want to get things right, but I don't want to be miserable doing it. Help? And uh, it's a great question. And Jed, where would we kick this off? Well, we're glad you wrote in. Uh, it's uh, definitely something we can relate to. So we're going to start, oddly enough, with a Bible story. Uh, but I think it's going to help to lay the groundwork for, for a big part of the answer to your question. So uh, this is about a character named Elijah who is a prophet, and this story comes from the first half of the Bible book called 1 Kings. And in the story, Elijah has been told that God is about to pass by, so he should be prepared to uh, uh, commune with the Lord. And I'm going to read directly to you. I'm starting in chapter 19, verse 11. Uh, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out. Here's why I tell you that story is God speaks in a gentle whisper. Um, in, in kind of modern Christian culture, we want everything to be loud and bright and powerful. We want the fire and the explosion and the wind. But God's actually not in those things. God speaks in a gentle whisper, and I absolutely believe that God is speaking to you individually within the stillness of your own heart in a gentle whisper. I absolutely believe that. You don't have to. I do. I 100% believe that for you and about you. But now here's the thing. It's easy to drown out a whisper. Really, really easy to drown out a whisper. And one of the things that drowns out a whisper is the fact that our feelings and emotions scream. It doesn't make them sinful or bad or wrong to have, but we need to have some understanding that if you want to be able to tune in to a soft sound, you need to be able to quiet those loud sounds at least for a little while so you can hear what that soft sound is saying, so you can get in touch with that soft, gentle whisper with that still, small voice. So the question that we need to figure out then is how do we do that? How do we turn down the volume on everything else, even just for a little while, so that we can tune in to that still small voice, to that gentle whisper? Well, to do that, what I have found, and I think other people have found this as well, is that if we want to turn down the volume on everything else, we need a healthy, accepting place that we can express these emotions that we have. Uh, Pretending that you don't have emotions doesn't work. It absolutely does not work. Pretending that you don't have desires, pretending that you don't have needs, pretending that you don't have wants and fears and concerns does not work. What works is a safe place that's filled with acceptance and with validation where we can simply, without trying to appeal to whether we're right or wrong, just express, here is how I feel. If we can do that, I think for a lot of us, we can get to a window, maybe it's a short one, but we can get to a window where it's much easier to hear that still small voice, to hear that gentle gentle whisper. But we really can't reverse the order. We can't try to listen first and then deal with the emotions later. We need to express those emotions first and then learn how to listen. And I'll offer two quick bonus points on that. The first is it's really, really helpful to have other people that you can talk to about your emotions, that you talk to about your feelings. Again, where it's a healthy, 
accepting, validating place where people aren't judging you for how you feel. They're happy to just listen and let you process. That's really, really helpful. The second, and this might be scary because this runs counter to what a lot of us have been told about God and been told about prayer, but I want to challenge you to ask the Lord for courage to build the kind of prayer life where you can be 100% brutally honest with God about how you feel, where he can be one of the people that you tell with no worry and no apology, here's what I actually feel about this. Here's how I'm actually doing with this thing. It's okay to tell God, I think you want me to do X and I hate that. There's a thing that I think you want me to give up and I hate that. There's a thing you want me to do and I'm terrified of it. I think it's perfectly okay to do that. I think God wants to do that. But this is one of those things where you kind of can't take my word for it. You have to build that relationship with the Lord for yourself. You have to build that relationship of trust and, and, um, and acceptance and validation for, for yourself. And I want to encourage you to do that. The more that you do that, I think the easier you will find it to tune into that still small voice. The easier you will find it to listen for the Lord's leading. Because again, I believe, you don't have to, I believe for you, God is speaking to you. God's the still small voice of the Holy Spirit is whispering inside of you, but it's about turning down the volume on the noise and the wind and the fire so that we can hear it. Absolutely right. I think it's a wonderful place to start off and so very well put. And Leah, I'd love to go to you here because I think maybe especially for young people, one of the things that can be a little tough about this is you may um, be facing a lot of decisions that feel like they're going to impact a lot of your life. And that can come with being the first time you've had to make these big decisions. Yeah. So there, it's a big ask to um, also add listening to the Lord in that, because as Jed's pointing out there, there's a listening to the Lord does have a, a spiritual, uh, obviously a spiritual practice. It has some uh, almost mystical qualities about that supernatural, but there's also some skills around that that we can sharpen. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it makes sense that this is a difficult thing to do. I, I always think about this like a, a muscle that you would have to, to work out. You need to get some reps in on this. Um, it makes sense if you are, you are new at it that it feels unfamiliar and that it feels like other people talk about it in a way like they're really awesome at something that you can't quite catch a gear on. Um, I think that I, I love the kind of strategies that Jed is talking about here. I think those are super, super helpful. Because I love the idea of turning down the volume of the things that are going to get in the way. I can think of another thing that's really, really going to get in the way of you being able to hear the still small voice of the Lord that we need to get some reps on turning down the volume of, and that is the idea of shame. What I mean by that is, if you think that I am not good at this, I don't know what I'm doing, so therefore God is probably mad at me, that is going to get in the way of you actually hearing from the Lord. Um, if you think that um, I should be here by now on listening to the Lord, and I'm not, so probably the Lord is frustrated with me or disappointed in me, that's going to, be, that's going to get in the way. That shame is going to be another loud thing that's going to drown out the still small whisper of the Lord. One of the things that you need to know, and, and, and it's one of these things that, like, it's, it's just easy to forget. And so let me be a person who says it to you again, if you've already heard it. That is, that the Lord has immense patience with you. There's actually a verse in uh, the book of 1 Timothy. Um, it's 1 Timothy 1.16. says this. The Apostle Paul says, But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, 
Christ Jesus might dis- display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I looked it up. In the Greek, <clears throat> that word immense patience, that word immense that describes Jesus' patience, it's the word boundary in Greek, and then it has the A in front of it, which negates all, which negates the word that follows that word. In other words, what he's saying is, Paul says, here's what the patience of Jesus is like. Imagine the greatest expanse you could possibly imagine, and there's a fence around it. And this is how, this is, past this boundary, Jesus can no longer be patient. And Paul says, now knock that boundary down. There is no boundary. His patience is boundless. That's an important thing to know here, is that as I'm learning how to to, as Jed's saying, to, to turn down the volume of my emotions and, and be completely raw in, in all the things that I'm feeling with the Lord, that he never gets tired of me being me with him. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus never gets tired of you being you with him, exactly as you are. He has boundless patience. There is no fence on his patience with you. That's important because if we feel shame about this process, about going to him and trying again, like, oh, I didn't hear anything. I'm going to try again. If we bring into our frustration with that uh, a sense of shame coming from the Lord, it's going to be hard for, for us to hear him. The real picture that we ought to have with this process as we're getting the reps is the idea of a dad uh, helping his kid learn how to walk. Um, I can tell you from from watching three kids learn how to walk that when you, as a parent, as you watch your kid learn how to walk, you're not frustrated when they fall. You're so excited that they want to try. You're so excited that they want to get up on those wobbly legs and, and hold out those arms and try to strike a balance and then take a step. It's so exciting. And if they fall, you're not frustrated. You're clapping. You're filming the thing. You're sharing it on Facebook. It's so cool that you want to try. Now, what if we took that into this process with with the strategies Jed's already talked about? What if we took that picture into the idea of, of listening to the Lord? What if we believed that he's like a proud dad who's so excited that you just want to try? You just want to try to listen to him. And I, I may not even know what I'm doing, Lord. I, don't even, I may not even do, be doing this right, and, and I don't know what's happening, and I suck at this, but I just want to try one more time to listen to you. I can promise you that his heart towards you is, man, I love this. He's getting angels around. He's gathering them around saying, watch my kid go. He's sharing it. If they have a Facebook, that's, he's so excited about the whole process. We want to knock all that shame down because any idea that the Lord is frustrated with you is going to get in the way of you actually hearing that still small voice. He's excited. He has boundless patience, and he wants you to try again and again and again. Those are all great points. There's one small quibble I would have because I know eye has not seen and ears not heard, but I have to believe there is no Facebook in heaven. Can't, can't be. That's right. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> fundamentally. I got carried away, Matt. I got fundamentally away. and theologically, <laughs> we just want to make sure we're being theologically sound on this program. They've got Facebook in hell, I promise you. Oh, it's, <laughs> yeah. You almost had a love joy thing going on theologically sound. Theologically sound. Short answer, no with an if. Long answer, yes with a but. <laughs> uh, so, Glenn, I think uh, these guys both give us a lot of great stuff on the beginnings of listening. And yeah. one of the, the technical aspects I think people would be surprised by if not done a lot of this in making these big decisions listening is I think the, the conception would be I would get quiet and get in tune with things and access my holiness. And the, 
I, a shaft of light would descend upon me and I would get the main idea I need. Right. It'd be go here or be this or go. And, and in my experience, I think in all our experience, the process has a lot more little bits and a lot more weeding out. Yes. Than people may think. Can you break that down for us? Well, yeah. It, it, at, uh, as, as Joe was bringing that out, he's talking about, uh, you know, this idea of tuning in, what we're tuning in and what we're tuning out and the, the distractions and so on and so forth. Uh, I think if I'm making a decision, one of the things that uh, I often wrestle with is I have really, really bad ideas. <laughs> and uh, the Proverbs 13 says, foolish people hate to turn away from evil. And that's kind of fascinating to me. Because if it's evil, why why would you hate to turn away from it? You know, there's a gravitational pull to a bad idea that's kind of yeah. crazy. We were we were talking about this as a staff over lunch last week. Just this idea of, isn't it crazy that you and I can have a bad idea and 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 really resist getting rid of it? Like, no, but, you know, but I don't know. I just, I just, I don't know. I like this idea. It's so <laughs> stupid, but I just can't <laughs> let it go. You know, <laughs> all of us have done counseling with, with people. They'll say, well, you know, I got to make a decision. It's this or that. And invariably one of the ideas, if it's two, I, you know, two choices or three or four or whatever it is, invariably one of them will be terrible. I mean, just a terrible, terrible idea. You're like, how did this even come up in the ranks of the considerations of well, whatever? I think it's a great point. And we should be clear. Uh, terrible, not in the sense of outlandish. Right. Often the most outlandish idea of the five is not the terrible one. It's right. one of those like, yes. you're going to be miserable if you do that. Yeah, that's a great point. Sometimes you, it, it feels like the holy things, I'm depriving myself or whatever it is, but you're setting yourself up for failure because you won't have stuff that you need in order to succeed. Uh, yeah, I think we we uh, a bold idea, as you say, an outlandish idea can get me thinking outside the box, mm -hmm. which can lead to a good idea. So it may be in it in itself a bad idea. It might get my thinking stimulated in a way, and that that idea of thinking outside the box, of considering stuff that's that's beyond your normal imagination plays into what Jed was talking about of listening to the Lord. It's hard for me to hear the Lord tell me to do something that I can't even imagine or think about or haven't contemplated. But if I've thought of five different things and I've put them all on the table and I say, Lord, which of these is closest to what you have in mind? I can at least get, I can begin to get this process dialed in. But if all five of them aren't anywhere near it, because I'm not thinking outside the box, we might really struggle to get close. So I think, yes, uh, recognizing that uh, that I'm going to be too conventional in my thinking a lot, I'm going to be too restricted in my thinking a lot. On one hand, we might say legalistic, we might say religious on, on, on that end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is just selfish, uh, craven, uh, you know, trying to look out for your own personal interests and not looking out for the kingdom perspective and all of that. But in all of this, I can have bad ideas that are hard for me to get rid of. If I want to do the right thing, if I want to follow the Lord, I need to start by getting rid of all these bad ideas. That's going to make this a whole lot easier. If all these other ideas left over are 
reasonably decent and sort of in a positive direction, I'm going to do pretty good at the beginning, and then I'm going to dial it in. Now, I know what you're thinking. I don't want to dial in my righteousness. I just want to go from zero to full righteousness in one (laughs) go. And that's awesome if you could pull it off. If you could pull it off, we need to start worshiping you instead of uh, trying to worship Jesus because you are so holy that you could just say, I want to be perfect, and then you're just that. This doesn't exist. Uh, I think it's important for us to recognize everything about uh, getting uh, onto God's will. It's a process. We layer that on. We get closer and closer and closer. Start with making decisions that get you closer to what it is God wants you to do. Uh, get you in the ballpark. From there, you can dial that in. That's yeah. how all of us do it. So be comfortable with that. Final thing, I get a lot of, uh, you're, you're saying it's hard to get the big decisions right. Uh, big decisions, you want to get them right. I, I get that. But here's the thing. Righteousness and following God is about doing the small things right a lot. Uh, uh, you have many, many small things in your life. If you get all the small things right, you're going to find these big decisions are going to sort of, you know, the the answers will present themselves. If I'm getting uh, a lot of my daily interactions wrong, I have a lot of unhealthy relationships off of that, that's going to put me in a, a position where I'm dealing out of places of guilt, human obligation, I'm overworking, I'm overextending myself, I'm overly driven, trying to hook myself up. I feel like I'm letting God down so I can't go to him for help. Now suddenly I'm trying to make a big decision and I've got 5,000 things pulling me in different wrong directions. But if I'm doing all these little things right where I'm managing my daily life in a healthy way, managing my relationships in healthy ways, I'm acting unselfishly, I'm, I'm trying to serve the people around me and be an encouragement to them. All of a sudden, by doing a lot of little things right on just an everyday basis, my head's in a, in a space where I'm going to begin to be able to discern what's right so much easier. And that's really all the stuff that Judd's talking about, listening to the Lord. It's about getting that, it, beginning with that sense of just what avenue to go up and having that discernment about it. As these guys have all given you a lot of really fantastic stuff on this topic. We'll jump to our final question here. It comes in to our email address. It's a little bit of a longer question, but bear with me because I think a lot of the uh, the specifics of this question are important to getting an answer. But I think there's also a lot of this that's going to apply to uh, people aren't in this exact situation. But And I'll break that down after I finish the question before I throw it. So the question comes in and says, I'm currently working as a youth worker in a local church. The problem comes in the form of the man who is the current head of youth ministry. He's been the head for many, many years. My problem with him is that he has a set way of doing things and he wants things to be done his way. I tried to compromise, but I can't seem to understand what he wants. I've been working in this church for more than two years, and I can honestly say that he's never done anything to encourage me. Instead, most of our interactions are him giving me instructions and or scolding me for not doing things according to the way he thinks they should be done. It's really disheartening for me, and now I'm at the point where I'm starting to feel anxious whenever I have to deal with him. He has a temper, and I have no idea what will set it off. I've tried talking to my senior pastor and told him that I'm having a hard time working together with this guy, but my pastor just told me to be patient and just continue what I'm doing while keeping dude in the loop. The only reason I managed to hold on this long was because I really do love working with the teens who are attending the church, and I found a few people I can talk to from the church. 
I'm considering quitting, but I feel bad for leaving the teens I'm working with behind, and it will seem like I cannot handle pressure. I would love to stay for the teens, but I don't know how much longer I can last getting chewed out every on every little thing and before I finally break. So please wow. help. Now, there's a lot going on here, and uh, obviously a very small percentage of you listening are um, youth uh, professional youth ministry workers, but probably a big chunk of you listening uh, have a job with a boss, and probably a lot of you have a church with a pastor and things you uh, may want to try to do and get done and not understand some other things about the leadership. So again, I think there's a lot of good stuff going on in this question to look at. And Lee, why don't you kick us off? Where would we start? Um, I think there's a fear there that you will look like somebody who who can't handle the pressure. But what we're dealing with is not pressure. What you're dealing with is an environment of uh, kind of chronic discouragement. What I can tell you as somebody who's been um, involved in youth ministry for uh, uh, full-time for 15 years now, but if you include the part-time, we're talking 20 years at this point, um, the leader of of any kind of ministry, but definitely a youth ministry, the leader of a youth ministry, their goal for the volunteers or or part-time workers they have with them or interns or people they're training, their job is to keep you encouraged. Their job is to keep you fired up, excited about what you're doing, and encouraged about what you're bringing. Um, now, this this is the kind of thing that, um, specifically to your case, it's 2019. You can still have a relationship with these teens. You can still uh, you can still text them. You can still meet up. You can still talk. You can still FaceTime. Whatever the deal is, uh, you can still Snapchat. You can still encourage them, hang out, whatever it is. Um, that's okay. Um, so we don't have to worry about that. If you've earned the right to be heard in those relationships, you have those relationships. That's all. That's all sturdy, and we can all hang on that. If we broaden the scope of this, what we can say is that anybody in a position of leadership, whether that's a team leader at a job where you work or somebody in a position in ministry, a pastor who is, who is listening to the voices of people who have energy and innovation in their congregation, that leader's job is to applaud innovation, to see people's gifts that God has given them, and to be the champion of those gifts. Um, what you want is in your leadership is you want somebody who sees you, believes in you, uh, is somebody who claps for you, somebody who equips you and says, go, go do your thing. I want to, I want to make sure that you're set up. I want to make sure that you have resources, but I want to encourage new ideas. I want to encourage your energy. I want to applaud that. I want to pray for you. I want to help you. And, and this is super key. As you're following Jesus and what he's leading you in and giving you ideas for, I want to serve you. That's this leader's job. If you have a leader who is shutting you down, discouraging you, chewing you out, has a temper, these are all things that, (laughs) biblically speaking, this is not a person who should be in leadership. If you read any of Paul's letters about... um, the, the what are called the pastoral letters, specifically the book of First and Second Timothy, where he breaks down what elders are like and what leaders are like and what pastors are like. What you're going to find is you're not going to find um, a very similar picture to the the one you've painted for us. Uh, you're going to find that the requirements for people like that are are people that uh, do not have a short temper, people who are encouraging, people who build you up, 
people who are edifying. And so that's what we want in leadership. That's what you should have from a boss. That's what you should have from a pastor, from anybody who is, is leading you in any way. Is somebody who says, I see what you bring to the table. I see what God has built into you. And I want to encourage that, and I want to serve you, and I want to make sure that you feel encouraged in your innovation and your energy. Those are all things that are beautiful in the kingdom of God. Um, when you listen to this podcast, you're listening to, um, especially the three guys in Chicago, you're listening to guys who have like done things that nobody has ever thought of before. And the really interesting thing is they have tried like scores of things that have totally bombed. That you've never even heard of, yeah. And and, and the cool thing about about Glenn's leadership in, in particular is he is totally fine with a bomb. He he loves a bomb because yeah. we learn from it. That's um, right. He he loves uh, something that somebody had an idea and it and the plane crashed into the mountain. That was a total disaster. He loves that stuff because. The kingdom of God is always new ideas, and, and what's a new way to come at this problem, this specific thing? And a good leader is, is not threatened by new ideas. They're not threatened by the fact that you're smarter than them. They're not threatened by the fact that you've got some cool thing that you thought of that never occurred to them in the slightest. They just look at that and they say, you are amazing. I'm a genius for hiring you. Let's do this thing. And even if it fails, it's on me because you're doing what I said to do. And so it's not on you. You win no matter what because you're doing what I asked you to do. That's the kind of leadership that you want to follow, the kind of leadership that makes you feel empowered, it makes you feel encouraged in your energy and innovation, and makes you feel like you can do anything, and God is going crazy over the whole effort. Absolutely right. I think that's a really, really fantastic place to start off. And uh, Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick us up there, actually, as, uh, the, one, as the boss on the show. Um, there's. Uh, there's a lot going on here. There's yeah. uh, some leadership style things. There's some um, just professional things to consider. But um, where where do we look for some encouragement on this and just some some uh, positivity in the situation that we may need? Whether that's to the courage to decide to leave or to yeah. find a stay, we need to find some positivity, right? I think we do, and I think part of it is figuring out how much of the negativity that's being put your direction do you need to own. And the very good and very positive answer is basically none, uh, or, or totally none. Uh, probably is going to be closer to it. What Lee's really walking us up to is the idea of jealousy. Mm. Is there a jealousy happening here? Wow. Um, here's the thing. If you're in a situation where you are doing things better than the person who is your boss, that boss will immediately think that that's great and celebrate it and be excited because, hey, I, I raised this person up. This is a pretty good thing. Uh, or they're going to mysteriously find something wrong with all sorts of things <laughs> with you. And this is how you know it's jealousy. It's not the actual struggles that you actually have. It's made up stuff. So, for example, uh, you know, uh, there was a, a night at uh, our bridge service. Uh, this was a couple of three years ago now. Uh, Matt just preached a complete home run. I mean, he got all of that thing. 
And on that particular night, I just, I was a little bit distracted, was running around a little too much. I didn't get into my prayer life the way I need to, to get uh, in the right frame of mind. And I struggled through that sermon. As soon as I was done, went over and I found Matt. I stuck out my hand. I said, shake my hand. You flat out out preached me. Congratulations. This is amazing. You're amazing. I want to celebrate it. Also, I want you to savor the flavor because it's not going to happen again soon. Because <laughs> I intend to hit another gear and show you what's up about that situation. But that's that you would know right away if that's the mentality that's happening. If 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 you have legit things that are wrong with you, and he's pointing to those things, then you have a sense. Okay, maybe he's trying to be tough on me. Uh, but if it's just nitpicking and whatever, and it's shifting around, that's jealousy. I've dealt with that. I've been subject to this exact situation. I came up through youth ministry. He's in a church. It was super unhealthy. They brought in a guy. He was not doing a good job. Some of the volunteers, like myself, who were there, were doing good work with the kids. He felt threatened by that. I couldn't, at the time, see any jealousy in that. I just thought, it must be something wrong with me. Looking back on it, I don't know how I thought anything other than jealousy by the way he acted in that. Um, I think it's okay if you give yourself permission to think that way. Here's another thing about this in terms of management elements of this that that Matt's bringing up. There's a mentality of maybe I'm being a pain to this person who's in charge, and I need to be less of a pain than this problem would go away. Here's what you need to know. Everybody's a pain. If you, as a leader. Everyone that I'm leading is a pain in my behind. All of them, 100% of them. I know I am. It, if you're not being a pain, you're not getting anything done. You might need to <laughs> lay down and have the decency to let us bury you because you're already dead. Everybody's a pain. Now, my job as a leader is to evaluate, is this person worth the level of pain that they're dealing into this situation based on how good is their work? If the if the work isn't worth the pain behind, then then I move that on. But people ha- are people are imperfect. They need help. They need encouragement. They need feedback. That's really important. Uh, having uh, real skills being uh, built into you, so that you have a way of doing quality ministry. All of those things are important. They all take time and they all take effort, and they don't involve me being the star of the show. They don't involve me being amazing, I have to take that time and sit down and buy you lunch and say, okay, this you are good at this and this and this. Here's where your struggle is. Let me help you figure that out. Uh, if you don't have that now, I think you already know what's going on. Let me drive it to this point. God needs to be able to redirect his servants. He needs to be able to take his servant, and have him go over here for a little bit and then have him go over there for a little bit without being a massive crisis or meltdown or trauma or whatever. I don't get that. I want to, Lord, tell me what direction to go in. I just go in that direction forever, and I'm cool like that. Uh, I don't like being, I don't like change. I'm a male. That has a lot to do with it. I don't want God to, to have me do this for a couple of years and do that for a couple of years and move on to another thing a couple of years after that. But I can tell you, if you ask me to think about logically, that having a varied experiences in different types of ministries 
will massively increase your skill level and you'll learn from that and you'll you'll benefit by it. But we have the sense of every time some redirection has happened, that means something failed somewhere. And there must be a tragedy that makes that redirection happen. That's the lie the devil's telling you. The Lord had you there for a season, had you there to learn some things. At some point, he's going to call you somewhere else. If now is that point, let him call you there. It, it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean there's a failure to that at all. The failure would be to stay there when he's calling you somewhere else, if that's the case. Uh, off of that, figure out your next move before you leave this thing. That is, I think, the one thing I accidentally did right in my situation was to work out, here is a uh, a local juvenile prison facility that's looking for somebody to do a little bit of praise and worship with them, do a little bit of uh, Sunday school teaching, and eventually a little bit of preaching. I saw that volunteer opportunity, and I switched directly from doing volunteer work with uh, kids in church to doing that behind bars. So that there wasn't an in-between period of confusion and, you know, head scratching or what have you. That helped me tremendously. It helped me explain that move a lot to the, the people. Because you're focused on the kids in this church, and that's the right thing. You are, that's, that's God's giving you that burden, and you're carrying it, and it's great. But there are other kids in your area that have nobody to talk Amen. to. We have to have a focus on them as well, because that's God's heart's on that as well. He's going to call you one day. I don't know if it's today. I don't know if it's tomorrow. I don't know if it's 10 years from now. At some point, he's going to call you to somebody who isn't being reached. If you figure that out, that move out first, and you make that move, you switch over to that, you're going to be pleased with that. Those kids are going to feel uh, encouraged. And I love what Lee is saying. You can stay in touch with these kids online, and that, that covers a lot of bases. Indeed it does. And Jed, where would you close us out with this? Well, we're really glad that you wrote in. We're, we're really sorry for the struggles and the difficulties that you're having. Um, I think it's worth generalizing this out just for a minute. Um, because a lot of people find themselves in bad situations. And I think we can confidently say this is a bad situation. Uh, people find themselves in bad employment situations, find themselves in bad relationships where they're just unhealthy dynamics. And the question that comes up a lot, and I think it's really in many ways the key question you're asking is, how bad is bad enough to leave? I think that's the question that most people ask when they get in that moment. Again, I think that's the question that you're asking here. Um, the short answer is, if you're asking that question, it's bad enough to leave. Right. That's, that's the short answer. But I think there's a few things that are worth adding to that. The first is, you brought up, um, let me read directly from your question here. Um, it will seem like I cannot handle pressure. No matter what you do in any situation, there are people who are going to say stupid nonsense. Yeah, right. You shouldn't actually consider that a factor. Yeah. Because there's literally no course you could take that would please everyone. Yeah, it might look like you know how to set a boundary and get out of toxic situations. Yeah. The toxic people that you leave behind are going to talk bad about you. That's going to happen in in every situation. Uh, the, the toxic boyfriend you leave behind, the toxic boss you leave behind, they're all going to talk bad about you. There's nothing you can do to stop them from doing that. So you shouldn't worry about it. That's just, that's not a factor. The thing that I would encourage you to do, you, you say, is instead of asking how bad is bad enough to leave, and again, whether it's a job or a relationship, if we're, uh, 
if that's the question that we're wondering about, it's it's already bad enough to leave. The question I would encourage you to ask is to flip that around and ask, how good would this suddenly need to get for me to in any way consider staying? In other words, make me an offer. You've convinced me to leave. In the time it takes me to pack my bags and head to the door, what level of massive improvement would I need to see for it to be worth me considering staying around this particular tire fire? I think you should think about that. And then when you thought about that, ask yourself this honest question. How likely is any of that? After you've established the kind of improvement you would need to see for you to feel good about staying, honestly, how likely is that? I think we both know that that has uh, a snowball's chance in a hot place of happening. Well, if we know where we're at is unacceptable, and we know that the journey to acceptable is a pretty big one, and we know that the likelihood of any of that actually happening is almost zero, then we need to move on. That's, it's as simple as that. Yeah, we can and should pray about it. We can and should seek wise counsel from people who are not at this church. I can't underscore that enough. People who are not directly invested in this situation. But 99 times out of 100, that's going to come down to it's time to move on. But now I would have two strategic things for you to think about that they certainly relate to your situation. They relate to a lot of employment situations. And the first is for a lot of reasons. I totally agree with Glenn. Let's try and get your next move figured out before you leave this. There is a time and a place to just flat out, I quit. I don't know what I'm going to. I don't know what's next, but I'm out. There is a time and a place for that. Most of the time, it's a lot easier on every possible metric if you have another thing that you're going to. So, um, if you're in a situation that is actively abusive, that's actively exploitive, then, then you do what you got to do. But if it's something where this is really crappy, I can kind of hang in there though. Most of the time, the smart move is figuring out your, your next, uh, situation and going on to that. And just to quickly jump in, that allows you to say, I'm leaving to go to this positive thing, not I'm leaving because I don't like this person. So it allows you to be more positive about it. That's exactly right. And that leads to the next thing I would have you look at, which is Christians really struggle. They feel like they're being dishonest if they don't say everything about everything. Yes, dude. And oh that my gosh. is a bad understanding of what it means to be honest. Um, everything that you communicate to everyone is done with a narrative everything. You are never yeah. giving complete disclosure of everything to anyone about anything. <laughs> Everything's done yeah. with a narrative. So own that. If you go out and you find another opportunity that you feel pretty good about, then we have at least two things that are going on. A, this place sucks. B, I found something I'm excited about. Choose to share B. There's nothing wrong with that. I found a new opportunity that I'm really excited about and I couldn't pass up. And I know I've learned a lot here that's going to help me succeed there, which is true. I learned a lot of negative things here, but there's still <laughs> things that I learned and they will help me succeed there. So that's, that's great. So this falls under what Jesus talked about, which, which is being as innocent as a dove, but as wise as a serpent. We're going to be Amen. wise in the way that we do this and wise in the way that we interact with people. And that leads to the other thing, which is how do you deal with this Yahoo while you're still there? Well, what I would encourage you to think about is to embrace the merit of saying, I'll get right on that. You're going to have a meeting. You're going to have a sit down. He's say, well, and the thing and the besides and the chairs and the, and the children and you're awful and it's terrible and I need to see improvement. Oh, first thing next week. I'll get right on that. Sure. I'll get right on it. 
No problem. Don't own his nonsense. That's it. You don't have to take ownership of a single thing he says. And here's the thing is, that's not being disrespectful. That's not being disobedient. What I hear you describing is he's, he's demanding a bunch of things happen that either can't be done or impractical to do or he's not equipping you to do. So he's saying, I'll get right on that. You will do the best you can, which is basically nothing because it's a situation where you can't implement what he's asked for. You got right on it. You did exactly what you said you would do. Uh, when he comes back to you and he, he blows up about another thing, sure thing, I'll get right on it. It's fine. It's no problem. Well, and I keep jumping in on I'm sorry, yeah. but here's the thing. If he's jealous yeah. and you keep getting better, that's going to make him more jealous. Sure. <laughs> so if he wants you to do better, what? how do you win that? Ab- absolutely right. But there is there's nothing wrong. I'm going to try and find a, a gentle way to say this. When you're dealing in this kind of situation where there's a power dynamic and there's a dysfunctional person, there's nothing wrong in holding them at arm's length, at a very significant arm's length, giving them as little information as you possibly can about anything, and basically placating them. There's nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing unchristian about that, and that's what I'm describing to you. Holding them at a very significant arm's length, telling them absolutely nothing of any substance, and placating them while you get on to your next thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing unchristian about it. That probably sounds weird. You've probably never heard Christians talk about doing that before. That is what you should do. That, that is how you manage the next, whether it's a couple weeks or a couple months, while you figure out your next move. Don't own his nonsense. It, none of it has anything to do with you. None of it's based on you. It's all nonsense. Yeah. Don't, don't own it. Don't carry the weight. And don't put it on yourself like you need to somehow try and do what he's saying to do because it can't be done. So don't worry about it. So I'll get right on that. Absolutely. That's it. You can make this transition. You can get on to a next thing. You will be better for it. I think the key thing to to have in your brain is to recognize this is not a statement on you. It's not a statement on the calling God has on your life. It's not a statement on your fittedness for ministry. This is a jerk being a jerk. That's it. Is it being driven by jealousy? Almost certainly. No question. But it's a jerk being a jerk. Don't own his jerkiness. Find your next thing. Move on and leave him to be a jerk by himself. Amen. I think it's all fantastic stuff you got, you've heard from these guys. And one of the things that's important to point out here is, as I think all these guys are doing a great job of acknowledging, there's a little bit of, it doesn't have to be muddiness, but it kind of is, of we are talking about ministry, we're talking about the calling forward, we're also talking about your professional field. And it's not, uh, you know, it's not profaning the sacred to think about the professional aspects of this. Uh, there's just a smart way to do it. As Jed is saying, um, this goes for every uh, job interview and every job switch. There's a narrative you at the job uh, seek e- seeker spin about that. So they say, well, what happened? The, the interview the next, let's say it's youth ministry job. So what happened last place? You don't have to say, well, the leadership had a lot of expectations and I just didn't feel like that was fair. And because that you think in your mind, that'll sound bad and it will. So there's nothing wrong with saying, had two great years, learned a lot. It just felt like it was time for something new and right. uh, to, to, to move on. And this seems like a really good opportunity at this place and da, da, da. As Glenn pointed out, it's really great if you can do that. That's kind of true in every endeavor. If you can get your next job while you're still employed, that's kind of the ideal way to do that. People who look at this kind of thing for a living would say that. The other thing, and again, we're, we're, no one on the, none of this podcast can or wants to tell you which decision you should make because that really is between you and the Lord. 
We can give you some good signposts. These guys are all done. So let's say for whatever reason you felt for, for a time, I feel like I should stay here and figure this out. One thing I would certainly encourage you to do is keep talking to the boss boss. It's easy for people in work environments. It's also easy for people in church environments to think I brought this up to the pastor that one time and he kind of gave me some general advice. And now it feels like he doesn't care. I don't know what to do. Um, whether it's a boss, whether it's a pastor, especially if it's someone who's both, squeaky wheel gets the grease on some of this stuff. And it's also important, again, this is not, it's not tattling on someone to tell their supervisor in a professional context how they are treating you, their employee. If you, It's when you say, you know, I don't really, I feel like he's, I don't really know what he wants, I don't to do it. And the guy would say, well, you know, keep doing a good job, but keep him in a loop because he's better. It's another thing to say, so he yells a lot? And is demeaning and that I'm having a hard time figuring out how that works in a professional environment because you want to be clear to the people above. And that also helps, um, you know, if you look for the next job and that senior pastor gets a call for how did so-and-so do it, you want to give them a full picture so they can do that. So again, uh, the only, only between you and the Lord, can you fully figure out which, which way you want to take, but there are some, some smart strategies to employ, no matter what that is, that apply to a lot of job and church situations in some big ways. All right. If you have a question for us at podcast, gmail.com or the bridge, Chicago.tumblr.com. You can also scroll down in your episode description and find those addresses. We take you out with a song from this month's bridge box. This is from the ever mysterious. We're no yes. closer seven years into understanding his <laughs> ways. The pool house guru. He calls this song Reset. Thanks for listening. This is where we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Sign up for Bridgebox. It cures rabies, scabies, rickets, scurvy, measles, mumps, hamel toe, monkey toe, monkey's uncle, and restless leg. <laughs> Have mercy on me, oh God, according to your unfailing love. Because of your compassion, blood, I my transgression, save me from my sins.
thumbs up I try everything, nothing ever works I double down, but it only gets worse Realize I can't save myself God, you know I need your help God takes the past, pays all my debts The blood of Jesus hits reset hey, man, with you, I-